You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey queers, welcome to season three, episode nine. We're talking shows today with me, Harrow, and Megan. Thesis on Joan is a podcast dedicated to amplifying voices from the LGBTQ plus community and the New York performing arts scene and examining the industry from a queer perspective. Join us as we sit down with groundbreaking theater folks, both on stage and behind the curtain. For many queers, theater has been an escape, and this podcast looks to have open conversations on where we've come from and where we're headed as a community while queering the canon along the way. Hey, Megan. We're here. It's just us today. Yay. Just us. I feel like we've had such a um, fantastic like run of amazing interviews, so... Um, yeah, it's actually been a while since it's been just us recording. Yeah, I like it. We get to check in more. Yeah, exactly. Um, how's it going? It's good. I feel I'm excited. We're into fall. I feel like I'm doing more things already. Mm -hmm. The weather's so much nicer. I like sat out in the park yesterday with my dog and ate and drank apple cider. Fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, this is the best. I love this. How about you? Yeah, I agree. Like, I feel like that temperature dropped last week and I'm like, now I'm my fully realized self again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm I'm not saying I'm not still sweating through my clothes every time I go on the train and such, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, it's just like a little more refreshing when you get off the train. (laughs) Yeah. I'm wearing layers now. It's great. Yeah. No, it's true. It's my favorite, like, fashion time of year. Yes, definitely. That I used fashion in a strong way right there. I mean, I get to wear my flannels again <laughs> and jeans. So. More fashion. Yeah. yeah it works. Great. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I've, I've been thinking a lot about like transparency uh, with my, my day job at work and, and, and how would that apply to us. And I was just wondering um, if we could tell our listeners anything we want them to know about how this podcast, Thesis on Joan, is created. Like, what would you want them to know? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I would want them to know how much that we have like taught ourselves how to do this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like we came in with like, I was thinking this the other day when I was editing an episode, I'm like, you know, two and two years ago, two and a half years ago, I had no idea how to do this. Mm. So um, I feel like that's part of it is like how much um you know we just had this idea and we really wanted to make it a reality so we just figured out the tools that we needed to do it and did it um 
not saying like yay us but saying like it's easy for other people to do the same thing it wasn't the challenges for creating the podcast weren't as daunting as I I thought they were before we got into it Mm. I guess yeah I I definitely agree and I love the editing part now too it's yeah yeah it was probably what I was most scared for at the beginning and then like after the first year I feel like it's you know it's that math brain space yeah nice (laughs) definitely yeah I think for me it's uh when you first asked me to do the podcast I had all this a rush of fear because I'm like oh god people will (laughs) listen to what I think about things and judge me for it um and I've had to like try and let that go and try and let my like imposter syndrome go um and talk to myself like okay we're just like two queer people talking about our experiences with theater we've both seen a lot of theater and we love theater and yeah hopefully people will find that interesting and I don't have to be like the most educated person about it or you know have the the most brilliant take on something to be interesting yeah even though you usually do so thank you but (laughs) (laughs) I just it's nice to not have that pressure on myself I would say totally and like you know we named our podcast thesis right yeah so we're we're both like huge nerds so I feel like doing homework (laughs) coming prepared to interviews like we've creepily revealed to some of our interviewees like how much we (laughs) look into their lives like (laughs) yeah I think we we often try to do the most but we don't necessarily have to to yeah and I appreciate our systems for how we like create the podcast like we kind of each take turns uh like producing an episode Mm -hmm. so um yeah I don't know I think it's it's fun to do it that way and it, it it helps like space out the work evenly yeah and I have to say too like I appreciate you know the the grace that you grant me and hopefully vice versa when we have something busy going on in our lives you know and I I feel like that's something that is not present at most people's real jobs you know Mm. where you're like oh you have a big trip coming up or you have this coming up how can we make sure that this is actually going to work for you so you're not just getting things dumped on you at a really busy time so thank you for I feel like you create that space at work for other people so thanks for creating it at our podcast I hope so and thank you yeah um I really appreciate our flexibility and like I think since we're friends too, that we understand that like we have other things mm-hmm. in our lives that are very important to us and um, we want to support each other being able to to do those things too. Yeah. It's, I mean, like do creative things with your friends, but also like, you know, have a good <laughs> system in place yeah. so it continues to go well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't want to get into that too much, but I think it is yeah. hard to create <laughs> things with your friends and, and remain friends. Yeah. Yeah, creating things with friends, living with friends. Like anytime you get into any type of long term, you know, you're together in something, it it's, has a potential to get tricky. So I'm, I feel like we're doing we're doing well. Yeah, so thank I you. appreciate. I remember when we first met and talked about this. You said, like, I have a mission to be the best roommate ever, or something like that. <laughs> and I'm like, great, this is gonna work so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can be you can have good friends who are bad roommates definitely right? yes absolutely yeah. well thanks for checking in with me about that um we can jump yeah. into our show discussion which is our main event today yeah and we actually have a lot to discuss which yeah. is very exciting i love the first one the this i forgot we even went right? <laughs> you, you put it on there the uh taylor mack songs from Bar- from the bark of millions concert which 
back in last week of june right yeah Yeah. it was for pride it was like five days before i got COVID again oh no (laughs) (laughs) um but i'm glad we went that was kind of like my pride celebration i didn't know that was gonna be it oh right i was so sad you couldn't come out for pride it was uh you know it happens it's fine i've got to keep everyone safe but It was wow! What a great experience that was. Though I wanted to go back and see like every night. Yeah, of shows. <laughs> what an incredible queer event, and I'm so glad it's just like in process, and we haven't even seen like a full version oh, yet. Yeah, you know, it was like really fun because each song was about a different queer icon or person in history. And um, that week at school, I was doing like Pride lessons, and we had just done like a whole thing on. Um, Stormy Delarvier, the mm. bouncer who used to work at Cubbyhole and Stonewall and um, this like butch icon. And one of the songs was like a lovely little like jazzy standard about Stormy. And I was just like crying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, this is amazing. Like most people who even like have a tangential knowledge of like queer history don't know who this person is and it's like a whole song about this person and it just yeah brought me so much joy (laughs) yeah I felt like a bad queer because I'll admit that like a lot of the songs came and went and there wasn't like a program or explanation of what the songs are called or who they were about so you just had to like guess or not guess and I, I probably didn't know who most of the songs were referring to and but I still had such an amazing time and all the songs are incredible. They're so fun to listen to and beautiful. So great. And even if you don't know who they're about, it, it's just such a journey. Um, and I think anything Taylor Mac does is wildly entertaining. Totally. So, yeah. I think I only know th- maybe like three of the people songs were about, yeah. but it didn't make it less entertaining. And like, I feel like I've seen Taylor Mac do this before, but this was the first time that Judy like really stepped back for a lot of it which I Mm. loved too and like had this wonderful queer cast and like do you remember that one part where Judy actually like went in the audience and watched part of the show yeah and then we got to watch uh Judy like climb back onto the stage and like giant heels and this like gigantic uh autumnal headdress it was amazing It was so wonderful. Yeah, the costumes, even though it's in this tiny, like, Joe's Pub space, right? It was like, we're not going to tone down any costuming Uh, for that. It was... And I bet the look every night was different, too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot wait until... I hope that it is staged in, like, the 24-hour concert format, because I will... I'll do it. I'll, I love my sleep, but I will ruin it for that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still so sad I didn't get to go to that, but Yeah. Just, I, I can't wait to see more of Taylor Max stuff. Like, it's always so incredible. Yeah. I feel yeah. like I'm just on the couch sometimes on a weekend night, like, watching TV, and I'm just like, what's Taylor Mac up to? <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, usually not a new show. So. Yeah. So keep an eye out for songs from Bark of Millions. Hopefully it will get, you know, a full production in the coming years, and we can all go queer the fuck out at this production. It's going to be yeah. amazing. Something I saw over the summer, we're, we're going back because uh, I think I saw this time travel a couple yeah. of months ago, but I saw previous guest Nina Keys play Gumiho down at uh, DR2. And I saw this a virtual reading of this like last year and was really moved by it. And it was so amazing to get to see it in person. It follows this, uh, the story of a queer Korean adoptee who's like struggling with finding out that their birth mother doesn't want to meet them. 
and uh, they're in the LA scene and they're basically just like sleeping around with all the queer Asians of the LA scene. Um, and I love it. Yeah. And I, I took a friend who felt like personally attacked by the show, but I think in a good way. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really incredible. Just like, I've never seen that kind of representation before of like parts of my identity and just like this kind of identity on stage. That was really amazing. And Nina Key is such a wonderful writer um, I remember in the when I saw the virtual version, I gasped at many of the reveals, and it still happened <laughs> in mm. person. Even though I knew it was coming, it was great. Um, so if you can check out another production of Nina Keys, I would highly recommend that. Was um, and we have another show we're going to talk about similar to this, um, but having watched a digital version and then seeing it in person, were there things that were like extremely different than what you imagined they would be? I think this happened also for the other show we're going to talk about where this was kind of a high, highly dramatic show. And on Zoom, I think sometimes that can come across as like too melodramatic. Mm -hmm. And when you see it in person, it's like just right. It's like, yes, these are very high stake events. And like, these are the emotions someone would have in this event. Uh, And it doesn't feel like a lot. And I still really enjoyed the virtual version. But uh, yeah, it's just so different seeing it on stage. Um, seeing the actors, it is like kind of double cast with similar actors and in, in different characters and just being able mm-hmm. to see like costume changes and like physical body changes uh, in the way they're playing the roles was really amazing too. Uh, so it was really great to see how each, each of them embodied the characters more. Uh, and it was a totally different cast too. So it was, um, it was incredible to see just so many Asian people. And it looked like from reading the playbill or the program that they were all queer too. And just Amazing. a cast full of queer Asians is a dream. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And we love Nina. I'm so sad I missed that one. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Hopefully there'll be more soon. Yes. Fingers crossed. Another show I got to see was The Nosebleed by Aya Ogawa, who was the writer, director, and a performer in the show. So Wow. Uh, so talented. And then the rest of the ensemble cast kind of played versions of Aya that all represented kind of different identities of her uh, or different aspects of her identity. So like her queer self, uh, herself as an Asian person. But yeah, they all played her in different scenes. Um, and it was just a beautiful kind of like ritualistic meditation on relationships to fathers and how hers was not great. There was a lot of talking to the audience. Uh, mm-hmm. In interacting, we uh, wrote down a list of questions we would like to ask our fathers, and then they collected them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was very intense. <laughs> That's heavy. Yeah. And there was this whole ritual they did with the questions that was really beautiful. Um, so there was, like, audience participation, but not in a terribly scary way. Um, that felt, You felt really, like, honored to be a part of it, I think. Mm. Also, when Aya played her father, like, all of a sudden, their body just, like, transformed into like a 70 year old man it was incredible oh to watch um but yeah it was such a fun show there was a whole running joke about the bachelor uh that was great <laughs> and it felt very queer and loving too um so I'm so glad I got to see that as well oh that's awesome yeah it's great what was the show that you had seen that they were in previously or they directed uh Haruna Lee's Suicide Forest that's it. Um, that was one of the last shows I saw before everything shut down. Yeah. That was such a wacky, weird show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
another one I'm sad I missed. I feel like I can never have a conversation about it yeah. <laughs> having not experienced it. It's yeah. yeah, it felt very like I think it, it was very based on like Butoh theater, and I don't know mm. a lot about that, but it, it had yeah, definitely had a lot of influence from from that. Um, yeah, it was fun. How cool to see all the different dimensions of her like artistry though. With yeah, show. and it just felt felt very human and very vulnerable, um, like revealing of where she was and. Yeah, really appreciated it. Nice. Um, I didn't do a ton of theater going this summer because I was doing a lot of traveling, but um, I did want to shout out the Shakespeare in the Park production of As You Like It that was actually a revival or a restaging. I'm not really sure how they're phrasing it of the 2017 version of it. Did you see the 2017 version? No, I got rained out, I think twice. Oh, no. <laughs> And that's why I brought it up to make you feel bad. <laughs> I didn't even try this summer. I was like, it's just, I don't think it's meant to be. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I played the lottery and that's, that's how we ended up going. Mm. Um, but it was just like so joyous and fun. And I did not realize that they had um, written into queer like plots. Mm. So there's like, you know, Shakespeare comedy, it's three weddings at the end and like the main one is is still straight presenting couple but the other two were queer couples and so it was just so fun to like have that be a surprise you know I'm just going because I'm like oh free Shakespeare in the park great and then it was like incredibly (laughs) queer and um very like emotionally manipulative but in the way that you don't mind a Shakespeare in the park show being you're Mm. like we're outside it's beautiful I'll cry at this intergenerational (laughs) story you know um but it, it was fun, and it was interesting to see another Shana Tob mm. joint, another Shana Tob <laughs> production <laughs> after yeah. seeing seeing stuffs. And this felt like very whimsical, you know, and very like I don't know. I feel like stuffs was such a huge shift for for her creative work. Mm. Um, so I kind of enjoyed going back to the more fun whimsy of, of her songwriting. Uh, but yeah, it was great. Who knows? Maybe they'll bring it back. Yeah. They've already done it twice. <laughs> yeah, I think I was confused. I was like, I feel like this is the one I didn't get to see, but I almost saw. But I just know my luck with Shana Taub and Shakespeare in the Park is not good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Well, the cast recording, I believe, from the 2017 version is available for streaming. So you can oh. check out some of the queer love songs in there that are very fun. Okay. So. Yeah, I haven't listened to it. I should. Yeah, I think I saw one song before it started pouring again. And they're like, no, I'm no. sorry. <laughs> so you even like got into the theater. Oh, and, yeah. Both oh. times I've been rained out, I've sat in the theater in the pouring rain for like 45 minutes before they finally no. were like, yeah, we're not going to go on. Oh, I've yeah. I was I've been to Shakespeare in the Park twice in the rain, but only once it got called, and honestly, I was kind of glad it did. I was <laughs> like, I'm I'm, I'm kind of done with this King Lear. Um, <laughs> but once was during the Tempest, which was very fun actually, because oh, it was like scenically appropriate. But um, yeah, the risky run. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, give me air conditioning and indoors away from the bugs yeah this was like uh we got really lucky with lottery and weather it it was a once in a lifetime that's never gonna happen again <laughs> so <laughs> nice might as well stop playing the lottery yeah <laughs> uh and we both got to see 
Roger Q. Mason's Lavender Men, mm-hmm. a recording they streamed uh, of the in-person production. Yeah. It was so fun to see Roger's work. We we had previously watched another uh, play that Roger wrote. The Duat. And this was so different. Mm-hmm. It was incredibly different. And also I was thrilled. I knew Roger was in it from the marketing materials, but I was I was thrilled at like the full presence of Roger in it. Mm-hmm. It was so it it was a lot of fun. But yeah, um I don't know, what were your first reactions to the show? Uh, I was expecting something more like the Duat, I think, and mm-hmm. which is like a one-man show. Uh, it's very dark, very serious, beautiful. Uh, and this was very fun, uh, kind of like a tongue-in-cheek comedy about Abraham Lincoln in, mm-hmm. a, in a reality where he was queer and was in love with this other soldier that he worked with who was an attorney. Uh, and then Roger played like different characters, but mostly like abraham lincoln's like maid uh yeah. also mary todd lincoln yes, for a bit. yeah right. <laughs> right before this is before he was elected as president and like the sacrifice that abe had to give up this man that he loved to be president basically and i'm like this is such a weird perspective for roger to focus on yeah um but by the end uh i think like it came full circle circle for me where i'm like oh, okay they are like very empowered they're telling this person uh because they make a deal with the abraham character at the beginning that it's like if you tell the story i will change the ending mm-hmm. and then when they get to the ending the spoilers they don't they're like no sorry this is my show <laughs> um, yeah yeah and I, it's like commentary on how cis white gay men never want someone who looks like roger right who's who's black who's fat who's uh you know biracial um and how we look i think with more sympathy and uh empathy with love stories and characters like abraham lincoln and his his lover um because there's just white gay men mm-hmm. yeah and i like how um you know we were watching it digitally but i like how like complicit roger makes the audience in it because of all the like fourth wall breaks like right like the audience is really brought into the story by the humor and like you know the storytelling itself is very compelling and then it kind of like throws it on its head right it's Mm -hmm. like well y'all are cheering this on too and and to that point too i just like the idea of you know, so many people are doing revisionist histories for a variety of reasons, many reasons, like hateful, terrible ones to write people out of revisionist history. And it's like, I love seeing revisionist history where, you know, queer folks, black folks, fat folks are put into the story, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, it doesn't matter. I, I think Roger even says that the character says that and like, this is a Fantasia. This is a story I'm telling. Like, you're asking, why am I doing this? How could I do this to your history? And the character's like, well, were you there? You don't know. (laughs) know? And I love that call out. And then it's done a few times in the play to really remind the audience, like, stop being precious about this, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, definitely. There's a really beautiful, when the the two men finally, like, hook up for the first time, Mm -hmm. it turns into this, like, beautiful ballet. It was really awesome to watch it, but it was yeah, then it gets broken of like, okay, but you would never want to see someone like me do that, right? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, and I it was weird because I'm like, oh, I don't you see Roger as like a very 
big presence who's very like confident in themselves it seems and like to see them in this in this character who's like very insecure and uh you know feeling unwanted um I'm glad that like by the end we're like okay here you see Roger like or not Roger I guess the character and like Mm -hmm. owning themselves yeah stepping back into that power Mm -hmm. and like taking it over yeah I will continue to see everything that Roger Q. Mason writes or is in as long as I can (laughs) um excited to check out their work at breaking the binary yeah and then uh i know there are two shows we want to talk about that we got to see in person together recently um the first is once upon a korean time by daniel k isaac who we (laughs) moved aside to take a picture of the poster (laughs) (laughs) sorry daniel k isaac if you're listening we we knew it was you we just really wanted a picture of the poster together (laughs) And we're too uh, embarrassed and shy yep. to say hi. <laughs> Would love to talk to Daniel K. Isaac, but very intimidated by the beauty of Daniel K. Isaac. <laughs> anyway, um, that's embarrassing. Even just saying that on a podcast. Um, but yes, this is, as uh, mentioned earlier, this was the other show that we saw digitally and uh now we finally got to see a in real life production of it and such a beautiful production um the projections were amazing the set the costume puppetry oh the puppetry right yeah all those aspects are gorgeous i I, it was one of those things where i felt like i really remembered what was going to be in the show and even the things that were the same i was like totally it was completely new with the staging of it. It was, it was wonderful. Absolutely. I think my favorite part of the virtual production was like the, the end scene where it's the uh, queer Korean adoptee support group. Right. Which you Uh, forgot about somehow. I forgot. Like I knew that was my favorite part. And then when we got there to the in-person part and they got to that scene and they said that I like gasped and clapped my hands. Yep. I was like, oh, they're excited. Their favorite part's here. And then after the show, you're like, I forgot about that. <laughs> I love it. I remember mostly that there. I knew there was like the adoptee storyline um, with the, the LA riots was the one I was remembering right. the most. And the space was great. La Mama was a wonderful theater for that. Like I just, it felt big in that space. Yeah. Like it, it took up the whole space and in a really beautiful way. Yeah, and it's dealing with such huge themes of like war and depicting war and uh, these like epic timelines that I think, yeah, it was a really great fit for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think seeing it um, on stage, because I mean, I have to admit, I have a very bad memory. We were just talking about book club, <laughs> like I can't read things too far in advance. So it was like watching it mostly for the first time for me. And I think this time through, like the um, the way the, the storyline weaved together was a lot easier for me to follow seeing like the actual staging and interaction of the characters. Mm. Not that it was more difficult before, but this time it felt very, um, I don't know, it felt very cohesive in a really great way. Yeah, I felt happy that I was starting to remember the folk stories. Um, mm-hmm. because, you know, I didn't grow up knowing any Korean history or folk stories and just hearing things like repeated helps me so much. Like I'm not a big 
you know, ironically, a big oral uh, partaker, intaker of knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. I, I do, I understand things much better by reading them. Uh, so just being able to like hear these tor- stories told to me multiple times is really helpful for me to like ingrain them into my brain in a way that like yeah. the Little Red Riding Hood is or, you know, any any of the stories that are in Into the Woods. <laughs> basically. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, if it's not in Into the Woods, I don't know it. <laughs> the part that was, I mean, it's hard to pick up like, uh, this is my favorite part, but mm. I think the part that's always the most effective for me both digitally and in person was the scene with the um the women who are essentially enslaved and are you know forced to um i don't know what what would be the best way to say this they're they're basically raped by japanese soldiers that's Mm -hmm. that's what's happening to them and as this you know horrific thing is happening they're comforting each other through these folktales and it's just the juxtaposition and you get so taken into the world of the folktale both through like their attachment to the story and the way that it's staged so it actually separates you from like the horror for a while and then it throws you back into it um it was just so effective and haunting and um yeah I, I was really impressed with both the direction and the the playwriting in that scene yeah such a heavy difficult scene and comfort women are a big part of uh korean history that you know they, they mentioned this in the show that the japanese denied that this happened yeah. yeah um and yeah it felt horrible to like know what was you know being portrayed off stage was happening mm-hmm. at the same time you're listening to the story but it, it did feel like this story is the lifeline to get you through the situation uh, because you know, if you there's you have to get through, and there's no other way, really. Um, but it's rough; it's really hard to watch. Yeah, yeah, and it was, you know, so jarring. Like it's like, oh, now we're under sea with this like magical queer sea person and bubbles, and it's like, <laughs> and now we're back, and it's still horrible, you know. And it's, yeah, I'm not doing a good job explaining it, but it was, it was really moving. Mm-hmm. I love a good like connection of generations through. Um, you know, following how people's children, you know, and the intergenerational trauma that happens mm-hmm. and also learning, like learning about the history of Korea and the Korean people um, was really, it really intricate and well uh, woven together by Daniel, I thought, in a way that like probably a lot of people don't know about Korean history and they learn from the show, which is amazing. Yeah, I, I certainly did. And all of these folk tales were completely new to me. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, and I, I love the like self awareness too. Sometimes you know it's like, well, this isn't you know with the adoptees at the end. They're like, well, this isn't like Western Cinderella. Like, listen how like fucked up this, you know, like how yeah. different this version is. And um, yeah, I appreciated that a lot. I also appreciated much like the next show we're going to talk about. I feel like we were in a very good audience with this in terms of reactions. Like, people were so like with it gasping and like applauding uh-huh. and it, it was you know just feeling that energy really helped make the experience too yeah I wanted to bring in uh, an article that the New York Times put out recently about uh, it was called some like it not are men in dresses still funny and it's talking to all these folks about you know is the joke of a man in a dress still funny is it transphobic why are we still doing that um 
and I, a lot of shows that we have seen together recently have featured like yeah a drag moment uh and it's all like femme drag it almost seems like you can't have a show today without it like when yeah. i don't remember the last show i saw that didn't have a drag moment which is very uh different <laughs> than my earlier theater going experiences you know yeah i mean you know there's you know taylor mac is always dressed mm-hmm. uh there's definitely a moment in once upon a korean time there's a moment mm-hmm. in the show we're going to talk about american televisions um yep. which way to the stage there was a moment in uh as you like it that was like a drag moment ah fat ham oh yeah fat ham yeah wow and it's you know it's it's bad to say that like when it's not bad to say an observation is in once upon a korean time when it happened i was like oh yeah it's the thing that happens you know uh-huh. <laughs> like, like it's no longer a a huge surprise to me, I guess. Yeah. I think when we were watching, we saw American television yesterday and when the drag moment is revealed before it happened, I'm like, Oh, it's going to be a drag moment. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You even like the lighting change. It's like, yeah. you know, almost bisexual lighting. It's like <laughs> drag lighting. <laughs> you can tell it's coming. And there's usually some sort of curtainy thing that people have to go through. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> And it's all used very to very different effectiveness, right? Like mm-hmm. the fat ham one, which we haven't really talked about fat ham, um, was like so incredible to mm-hmm. me. Like that one was earned. It was needed. It was like the relief that you had been traumatically working towards that whole play. <laughs> and other times it feels a little arbitrary and it's mm-hmm. just to like, it feels like a cheap way to add some relief into a show. Um, I'm not going to really pinpoint anything specific right now, but I, I don't feel like it's always used in a mindful way. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. And I think, well, the article I feel like focused on the difference between like Mrs. Doubtfire and Tootsie versus Mm -hmm. um, like strange loop. Uh, And I, I didn't even think about strange loop as a drag moment, but I guess it is. Yeah, I was I was like almost shocked that that got grouped in with it because mm-hmm. it is, but I I don't think of that. And it's also the way that that actor is performing the mother. It's not it's more an exaggeration of being that type of mother than it is an exaggeration of being like a feminine yeah. presenting person. I don't know. And there's people, there's cis men portraying women, you know, through the whole show too. So I'm not sure why like that moment is, she, is, mm-hmm. is, the, is the actor in a dress at that point? I think he is. And then it mentions in the article that he off on Playwrights Horizons wore a wig. And I do distinctly remember that. Uh, and then the moment oh, when he I takes didn't realize off. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the and he's not in a wig for the Broadway production. Um, but yeah, that feels very different to me than like these like production number moments in some of these other shows. Yeah. Um, it's just like an actor portraying. It feels like an actor portraying a character. Um, and then I feel like Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire are in like a whole separate other league. And it's like the intention behind it, right? And to me, it's always who's creating the thing, mm-hmm. right? And we know that Michael R. Jackson is creating this and it's being created for, you know, mostly black queers. It is created for black queers and like Tootsie is not. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So there was like a, a line in that article, Charles Bush was saying like, you know, people used to 
it was like uh, gay panic horror, right? And he literally mm-hmm. says audiences are beyond that now, and I strongly disagree. Yeah. <laughs> and then even like Taylor Mac came in and said like, well, it's like interesting when it's men performing women as men, but I think Taylor's Taylor Mac's giving the audience too much credit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't think that most folks are going to be able to make that distinction and I think most people are gonna see I don't know I I I see what they're trying to say as as artists but I don't think that the audience is actually reading it the way that they hope they are yeah and I really appreciated what uh Elle Morgan's contributions in the article and you know her saying you know it can be really harmful and dangerous because if people you know see a man in a dress as a joke if you know they find uh, a trans woman, um, it can it can lead to violence against them because they think it's a yeah. joke, and that's really dangerous. And she's like, you know, my show has that moment in it, and my show doesn't get a pass either. Yeah, that was super interesting. I'm glad she called that out, mm-hmm. and just like saying, like, why do we even need to be doing this? Right? Yeah. Like, that's the question, <laughs> and no one seems to have a good answer for it, or even a good reason to include it. It's interesting the playwright of Which Way to the Stage talks about how, oh, it's always femme drag. We never see like women in masculine drag. And I'm like, that's so funny because that's what Megan and I were saying about her show. <laughs> yeah. We would have loved to see <laughs> uh, that character in mask drag. We're like, listen up. Yeah. <laughs> that would have, and that's, that's the problem, right? Is that everyone has like this fixed in that when you go to a show, if there's a drag moment, you could pretty much say exactly what that moment's going to look like. I think that's why Strange Loop feels so different because the actor is not putting on these like over the top outfits. Like mm-hmm. the actor's just putting on like a skirt and coming out and singing a song. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it, it doesn't feel like, um, it's not it's not meeting the audience expectations. Yeah, and I think there's a, such a huge difference between shows like Tootsie and Mrs. Doubtfire where it's like the joke is a man in a dress versus like we are commenting on gender and having a fabulous moment mm-hmm. um, and celebrating drag. Right. Versus like... Which is like fat ham. Yes. Mm-hmm. Versus like, isn't it ridiculous that a man could ever pass as a woman in a dress? Right. Which is what the other two shows are, I think. I'm like, sorry, if you're making commercial theater for a mass audience, that's probably the joke you're doing, even if you're not trying to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's probably how it's being read, even if there's no intention of that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen either of those shows either. So, you know. Well, for, for very good reason. Yeah. <laughs> I did see Tootsie. I got a free ticket and it was, yeah, it was, you know, exactly what we all feared. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like Al Morgan said, like, this is irresponsible. Mm-hmm. You know, why yeah. is this even happening? We've, we've moved beyond it. We're better than this as a theater community. And we keep, if we keep producing shows like that and perpetuating this idea, like that danger, that harm is still just going to keep being out there. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it cheapens like those really well-deserved, wonderful moments, like in Fat Ham, mm-hmm. you know, cause then it's like, if you see drag in every show, then it's, the effectiveness of it when it's actually used in a way that serves the story is mm-hmm. going to go away. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, that article needed to come out like five years ago. It's, and I don't know why. 
I guess there's a lot, there's a drag or a lot of drag in Some Like It Hot, and I have not seen that yet. Either. Which I had no idea. I, I don't know anything about that show. Yeah. Um, and you wouldn't know from the advertising that there's drag in it. Yeah. So who knows? Back to Once Upon a Korean Time. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but it is really interesting that the article came out, and I was, and now as we've been seeing more shows, I'm like, God, this isn't every single show we've seen lately. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. And it's all femme drag, yeah. Drag in the multiverse. Oh, except Suffs. Suffs had mask drag. Oh, it did. Yeah. But you know what? Mask drag, there's so it's so few and far between that it's I feel like it's never used in a way that's like a throwaway because mm-hmm. it's so uncommon. Yeah. I, I'm sure it is. I just haven't seen it. And that was like one of my favorite parts of the show, so it was my favorite part, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so very fresh. Our last episode was with uh, the playwright Victor Icazares, uh, who was the writer of American televisions, televisions, <laughs> parentheses. But this is super fresh. We just saw the show yesterday. Um, they saw the matinee. And yeah, so we can check in on what we were thinking. But I hadn't been to the workshop since way before the pandemic. I know you've seen a couple of shows there mm-hmm. since. But it was just so great to be back in that space. And I feel like anytime I walk into a show there, I'm always like, whoa, what's going to be different? And this did not disappoint. It looked completely different the minute we walked into the room. Yeah, it looked huge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way, like, the whole design and tech aspect of the show was mind-blowing. Um, so impressive. But there were so many, it's it's huge on multimedia. There's screen, like, the whole set are different screens. Um, there's different projections everywhere. Um, there's so many amazing surprises in the set, like the reveals of what there are these big metal box crates on stage, mm-hmm. and you get to see inside all of them. Uh, this is going to be a very spoiler-filled uh, discussion. Um, yes. <laughs> and I felt, yeah, each reveal I thought was so fun. Yeah, I know. As soon as we, I couldn't tell, you know, like those big boxes, I thought, oh, maybe they're just like... Um a surface area for projection and mm-hmm. then as soon as the first one opened I'm like oh yes this yeah. is gonna be <laughs> it's so funny like it the the show has so many elements of like childlike whimsy whether it's with actual toys or with video games and then the set itself almost has like a poly pocket vibe of like yeah. how a little kid would like structure their world if they were telling a story about their life it's like over here's the barbie aisle and over here is our living room you know mm-hmm. so I I thought, like, thematically, the set worked really well, too. Yeah, it was so great. The cast was incredible. Every single one of them so strong. Yeah, the cast was amazing. And it was, besides Ryan, I hadn't seen any of these performers before. And the way that they jump between, like, the different timelines and the different roles, it's, like, acting masterclass up there. And many of them, the the performer who plays the lead... Well, I guess I don't even know if you can say it's a lead, but the character who's on stage the most, I was like, you're on stage this entire 100-minute show. Yeah. <laughs> this is incredible. And then they start doing, like, backflips and cart one-handed cartwheels, and uh It was so cool. I have seen Raul Castillo, who plays the father, in Looking. Oh, okay. That's I'm like, how do I know this person? Yeah. That's it. Okay. But that was fun to see. And he's in Vita. That's... Oh. He's very hot. Yeah, he's he's great. <laughs> Into that. And he plays this really kind of abusive father figure, but you also feel for him so much. Yeah. Like, what a complicated person. 
uh, I think that's a feat to really like give humanity to someone who is uh, abusive like that. Yeah. It reminds me of um, some of our conversations around how I learned to drive. I'm like, why do I feel anything for this character? Mm. And I think it's because you live in their like sadness so long before the, like, the their abusive nature comes out. But yeah. yeah, maybe it's also because I recognize him from Vita. So I just felt bad for him. <laughs> <laughs> Unclear. <laughs> yeah, uh, there were some amazing costume moments as well. Uh, Victor had mentioned that they you you brought this up because I had forgotten the mm-hmm. the project runway designer uh did two of the like the looks the special costumes I think is what they call mm-hmm. it and they are incredible that last I mean they were both great but that last one is like oh. a whole performance art piece on its own yeah <laughs> it's very incredible the show focuses on uh an illegal Mexican family in the neighborhood where the very first Walmart was built uh, and the end, there's whole like running theme of uh, like a old Nintendo game, like kind of Mario Brothers esque game. And in the end, they get to like the final boss fight, and it's the mother character in this full Walmart receipt <laughs> gown. That's Walmartina. Oh. Yes, Walmartina, yes. covered in like barcodes and prices. Oh, it was it's so good though. Yeah. And we were saying as we were leaving the theater and, and talking with um, the folks that we went with, how like we fell right in the age gap for the show yeah. <laughs> with some of the references between like the video games and the just like Walmart visuals and pricing. Mm. But Harold, you were saying you're a recent video game person. Yeah, right? I, I I did have a Nintendo, like the one they had in the show when I was younger, but the only games mm-hmm. I really played was Tetris. And I had Mario, but I was not good at it at all. So I hadn't really played video games like my whole adult life. And then when the pandemic hit, I got a Switch. And now I play it every day, I think. Um, so <laughs> I'm like, oh, now I, I like recognize video game like mechanics that are in a lot of different games. And uh, just appreciating the like, yeah, like the secret code thing of trying to be yes. like hard fights. And you press the <laughs> keys in a certain order to, you know, unlock special abilities that was all great it was so good yeah when ryan just yells up up down b (laughs) (laughs) what a great line um yeah i loved how much of it because i had like the game boy when i was a kid and i was so much of the legend of zelda Mm -hmm. iconography was used in the show which brought me so much joy and you know it it makes you the way that the story is non-linear but also like non reality focused a lot of times so like if you were a little kid and all this stuff was going on around you you would kind of put it in uh, terms you could understand like maybe this is just a quest I have to defeat and I can Mm -hmm. gather these items and there's there's always a solution right you can always win the game and um I thought that was really interesting how Victor was able to like make make it make sense in the mind of a I'm, I'm assuming that character was like somewhere between like 10 and 15. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I re-listened to uh, Victor's, our episode with Victor this morning and them just saying you are what you watch, I think still just hits me in such a, a weird way. And um, it's interesting to think about like video games and is that what it is watching, but it's also participating in a way that is kind of like life where you're making 
choices and making moves, but in this very controlled environment. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. Like the the main character, Erica, is trying to do that with all this like trauma she's experiencing, but it does, it can end as like cleanly as she wants it to. And I I mean, I just have to talk about Ryan a little bit more yeah. as well. <laughs> because it was this is my first time seeing Ryan like perform live. Just oh, having yeah, me seen too. Yeah, okay. I was like only having seen digital shows. Um but like, wow, just so wonderful. I, I feel like this role too is so fun because it is like the comic relief, like mm-hmm. character role, which this show like desperately needs. Definitely. But yeah, it was, I, I just felt like he was very much in his element and the audience was like losing it for him. Oh <laughs> so. yeah. He was so wonderful and had some great moments of like gravitas and dramatic moments too, I thought. Yeah. The detectives part was my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> and they had such a great friendship. The two, um, the younger people had such a great friendship. It's interesting because Victor was saying how, you know, they wrote this show a long time ago. I think it was like early 2013 or something. Uh, I think they said it's, they've been working on it for at least 15 years wow. now. So even earlier than that. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, you know, Walmart was a huge thing back then. And we thought it was going to be like, you know, the, the biggest boss of capitalism. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like, yeah, we aren't talking about Walmart as much these days, but like it was so easily like supplant that with like Amazon or whatever, yeah. you know, and it totally felt completely relevant. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Probably even more relevant now than it was then. Mm-hmm. I would say. And even I feel like in areas outside of New York, I would say places like Walmart still have like such a huge hold on economies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we were saying when we were leaving the theater, we're like, our dads love Walmart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's kind of like, you know, there's a lot of other stores in town, but the way it's positioned, it is the cheapest, easiest, most efficient place for my family to get a lot of their stuff. So you, you see how it easily takes over a community definitely and to think about like the very first walmart and just you know the dawning of this new time wild yeah and the fact that like there's this all this about how the night that never ended or i forget the exact phrase but like basically the lights from the walmart i guess parking lot were so bright that like it just made it feel like day all the time and it like disrupted this family's sleep and they had weird work. They had like really atrocious work schedules anyway, where they're like working Mm -hmm. in the night shift and sleeping in the day. So yeah, just the, the tiny like local impacts of a Walmart on this family too is, was really poignant. Yeah. And had huge consequences for their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was way more gay than we thought it was going to be. Not that we didn't think it was going to be gay, but it was it was very queer. Yes, definitely. Um, with themselves. What do yeah. you think? What do you think was the um, the thought behind like having the same actor play uh, like these two young guys who were in in love with each other? Yeah, I I don't know honestly. Yeah. I, I was trying to think about that this morning too, and I don't know if it's a comment on like people see like young people who are not identifying the way they want them to as like interchangeable or not like as a whole person um Mm. or maybe it was there was a line saying that they were like 
they were each other like mm. towards the end was saying like well i i am him and he is me and like he's still here so maybe it was that mm. um but yeah that was not easy to untangle what do you think well part of me was like is this just like a producing choice because it was less expensive yeah. to have one actor especially um, one that's not on stage for most of the show yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know and it was interesting to me because it was so race specific too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the family is Mexican. And then it was the actor who played Jesse and Alejandro. Uh, I think they said was Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wondered like why that choice was made too. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about the acting choice, but I feel like the story choice was really interesting when they get to the end and they're like, don't tell dad that you're a legal immigrant. So that mm-hmm. was like, I feel like the reason that that, character i don't know it was it was a, a huge surprise for some people in the audience who did not re- <laughs> who did not realize they were the same person <laughs> yeah not calling anyone out it no, was just it was like great. interesting <laughs> well it didn't because alejandro you don't you never see like his full he's only appears for most of the show in on screen in like a video and most of it he's like pixelated or like distorted in some way so you don't get like a super clear image of his face um so you know maybe there's confusion about that it's giving them a lot of benefit of out there <laughs> um yeah it did like it took me a minute though when the actor came back out to be like are you Alejandro now yeah <laughs> Kino was a little confused on that um yeah, I will say that even though we talked to Victor and they had warned us about this and told us, like, you know, don't don't fall into the trap of linear storytelling. As I was watching it, I was still actively doing that and having oh, yeah. a hard time probably the first, like, little less than first half of the show, like, trying to make it fit into something that, like, my linear focus mind is used to. Yes. Eventually, when I gave up on that, I, I feel like I was able to like experience the show in a much fuller way but mm-hmm. the, the beginning I was like why am I doing this I know I'm not supposed to be doing this and I'm still <laughs> trying to make it make sense you know? yeah I think I was still like the moment I was confused about I was like oh wait is the mom actually and, and the dad I felt clear that the dad wasn't dead at the end right and then the mom I wasn't sure because I'm like wait did she really run away with Stanley or was that just like something Erica made up in her mind? I don't know. Because yeah. it could be real in like one reality and not real in another. And maybe it's real in Erica's video game. Yeah, it, yeah. it's really hard to understand. But, you know, I'm fine not knowing either way. I think yeah. there were so many lines where I was like, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, I know. I would love to read the script of it mm-hmm. for sure. And I'm not going to say like good on them because they should be doing this anyway, but like I'm glad that I'm glad that this show exists at this scale at New York Theater yeah. Workshop. So it's it should be what they're always putting their money towards, but it was cuz I I can imagine Victor's frustration which they shared with us of like, you know, getting this on its feet and like how do you how do you do this at music stands and understand what it is? Yeah. You know, you you need the full effects of the of the production. And they were pretty seamless. Like, I was so impressed how how epic it was in the tech and just how smooth everything went. Yeah. Yeah. Release the tapes of the stage manager. We want to hear. We want to hear them call the show. (laughs) It was great. 
Yeah, sadly, it will be over by the time this episode comes out, but hopefully folks listen to our Victor interview and are going to see it. Yeah. Also playing on Broadway this fall is 1776, the musical, a production that I've never seen, Harold's never seen. (laughs) Um, It's at the American Airlines Theater. It's a roundabout production. It is a all non-cis male cast. I'm not sure exactly how they're they're phrasing it. Um, and it is led, interestingly, by two directors, one of them being Diane Paulus. Um, so I'm, I don't know, I'm very intrigued to see what uh, this is. And I love that I'm probably going to go in having never seen anything about this show before. <laughs> Just experience <Yeah>. this version <laughs> only of 1776. It's not a show I've ever been excited to see, but now I kind of, I'm intrigued. I I want to see it. Yeah. I think this is the only way I would ever go. Um, and it's playing yeah. through January 8th. Another show coming to Broadway this fall, previews begin October 28th, is Anne Juliet. It's not the word and, it's the ampersand, Anne Juliet, the new musical. So I'm curious about this because like you said Harrow I also have heard this is queer but I don't know how or why or what <laughs> I will say I got the mailer for this recently and I was this is clearly not a uh, uh, unbiased <laughs> presentation of these shows um, I got the mailer of this and was like confused to see that it's mostly pop songs in the style of Moulin Rouge so yeah curious to see I, I wasn't a huge fan of how that worked in Moulin Rouge but mm. Moulin Rouge was not really that gay so if this can be <laughs> if this can be gay and also hit me with uh some Britney Spears I, I might be more into it <laughs> I'm excited for Betsy Wolf I love some Betsy Wolf oh I didn't know okay wait yeah. that ups my excitement a okay. lot like we- I really like Betsy Wolf yeah, yeah. she's great some off-Broadway shows that we're going to try and, and check out. There's a show called I Wanna Fuck Like Romeo and Juliet. I don't know if that's how they're pronouncing it. There's an asterisk in the U of the F word. A lot of um, choices this fall with the titles. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is uh, I'm going to read the blurb. Snow in July, comets falling from the sky, the world is thrown into chaos as Cupid rips off her wings and gives up on love. But her old flame, St. Valentine, is a plan to bring her spirit back up, and it involves reigniting the flame between two humans, another Alejandro, and Benny. (laughs) Moving from the heavens to Hackensack, I Want to Fuck Like Romeo and Juliet, is a love story of epic proportions that investigates gods and mortals, realism and fantasy, and the shame and joy within queer love of color. This is presented as part of the New Light Theater Project's 2022 New Light, New Voices Fall Festival and begins previews October 20th and runs through November 5th at 59E59 Theaters. So another show that is coming from Parody Productions is Turning Krishnishi. This is the story of Hannah Krishnishi, a high school senior in a small conservative Kentucky town who transitions to become a Bernicia, a gender in his ancestral homeland of Albania. There are several problems with this, of course. Hannah has never been to Albania. Almost no one has transitioned to become a Bernicia in decades, leaving only a fairly antiquated ritual that requires taking an oath in front of 12 village elders as guidance. 
Hannah has no elders, but he is determined not to let that stop him. Can Hannah get the support he needs in order to overcome his transphobic principle and transition according to the ancient rules of the Bernicia transition? And that is playing November 3rd through 6th at AMT Theater. Another show that I'm excited about is um, called The Patient Gloria, and this is going to be at St. Anne's Warehouse. I'm I'm a fan of most things that happen in St. Anne's Warehouse. I feel like I've never had a bad artistic experience there. Um, but it's written by the playwright Gina Moxley, an Irish playwright. And this is the blurb, a gloriously ballsy meditation on therapy, misogyny, and female desire based on the 1965 films Three Approaches of Psychotherapy or the Gloria films. It's a punky mashup, a reenactment, actual footage, and lived experience. So the playwright is also playing the therapist, which unsure, have not been able to confirm, I believe, is like playing it in male drag. Um, so that is interesting to me. Well, the playwright is also a director and directed a show I saw a few years ago at Irish Arts Center called How to Keep an Alien that was about um, this Irish lesbian woman trying to figure out how to get citizenship for her partner at the time who was an alien and was also um, this partner was also the stage manager of the show. So <laughs> it worked out. They were together. They had a great queer romance, but um just based on that directing style, I feel like I'm going to enjoy this this piece by Gina Moxley. That's so amazing. going to check it out. $49 tickets. There's a bunch of shows y'all can see. And please tell us what we've missed. We want to shout it out on social media if we can. So jumping over to our action of the app, uh, we want to shout out for folks to support the Fair Chance for Housing campaign. And this is a coalition of advocates, legal services, human service providers, and people who have experienced housing discrimination. So these folks believe that housing is a human right and allowing justice-involved people equal access to safe and stable housing strengthens our communities and makes us all safer. Their goal is to pass the Fair Chance for Housing Act in New York City Council to protect people with conviction records from housing discrimination. Conviction has an end date, shouldn't the punishment. Our mass policing, arrests, and incarceration policies have disproportionately targeted communities of color. These structural inequalities have disproportionate effects on Black communities. As a result, 80% of New York City residents with a conviction are Black or Latinx. Criminal background checks have been used far too long to perpetuate racial bias and exclude people from housing. Their site says we cannot end racial discrimination in housing if we don't end conviction record discrimination. So you can visit their website. They have a Take Action page, and from there you can sign up for updates from their campaign. And they also have a super easy way for you to email your city council members and Mayor Eric Adams. You can also use their forms to tweet your city council member to support this legislation. So we had a busy summer of TV watching. Oh, I finally watched Vita. Yay! <laughs> but not the most recent season because I can't find out how to find it. But we both started watching and finished watching A League of Their Own. Yes, and some of us have watched it twice already. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I got to circle back and do a rewatch. Like, I let it simmer for a few weeks. I'm ready. Yeah, I think the first time it was just me losing my mind a lot. So I needed to go back and, like, take in some more (laughs) subtle moments I might have missed the first time. Yeah, well, it was, like shockingly queer right like I 
I expected it to be queer because I was like, okay, Abby Jacobson. It's also now 2022. Mm-hmm. Great. But like, I had no idea the extent of queerness <laughs> was going to be. <laughs> Were you surprised? Oh, I was shocked. And I had even heard that it's super queer. And I'm just like, oh, everyone. Oh, the main thing is queer. Ah. <laughs> Both of the main things are queer. Ah! It's so wild. I know. I was like, we couldn't possibly have both, could we? Yes. Everything is queer. Yes. Did I tell you what my dad said? My mom and dad watched it over the course of like three days. And like the last episode, my dad looked at my mom and he was like, that was kind of more about being gay than baseball, huh? (laughs) (laughs) So good. But he still loved it. His favorite character is... um. I don't remember the character's name, but it's kind of the other like hard tomboy type that's from Canada. Oh, <laughs> his Jess? favorite character. Yeah. Yeah. Jess yeah is my yeah. dad's favorite. Amazing. <laughs> uh, so many good queer moments. I think my favorite is spoilers for A League of Their Own, but my favorite moment is when they finally go to the gay bar together. So great. And Jess and um, Roberta's character are just mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're gay. Yeah, we sleep with a like, bunch of women. Obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so great because it was like, you know, you're, I feel like it almost played on like the emotions of queer viewers never getting the payout they want, yeah. right? Because I'm watching it. I'm like, God, those two have to be gay. Like, there's no way those characters aren't gay. And then you get to that scene and they're like, obviously. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, good, 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 good. Yeah. That was satisfying. Yeah, yeah, it was that episode was so emotional and it's it's just like beautiful too that mm-hmm. show. It's, I cried several times through the series. Oh yeah, same. Yeah. You have a favorite character? Well, okay, I didn't know that I would be so into Janet from the Good Place, but dear lord, <laughs> it's it's a problem. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. Well, the problem she's not queer. She's not out as queer. I don't it's know. It's shocking that she's not, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, me and every queer that has seen the series now, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but our original Joan also, you know, she's great. Ugh. Roberta Calendras. Always. I mean, don't talk to me about Roberta. Like, a wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we were saying, too, like, it's kind of fun to see Roberta be, like, a different character than just like the heartthrobby type yeah. you know it's like kind of a more complex almost like antagonistic role for a little bit which mm-hmm. is fun and i'm like obsessed with uncle birdie uh, <laughs> uncle, uncle birdie is my favorite um that was when the show really broke me i'm like <laughs> you're gonna give us like a trans like male elder too like yeah. how is this happening oh, that was beautiful. so wonderful and he makes the suit Ugh. yeah all all the feelings yeah it, it's also just like nice again like knowing the manipulation queer audiences have been through to have so many like happy things handed to you mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like there are some it's the times like of course things are gonna have to not all work out for these characters in the world that they're in mm-hmm. but there's also there's so many wins and so many great like love romantic moments and it's friendships and yeah yeah it's it's nice to have some joy some this is the queer joy we always ask for yeah well if you can't tell we highly recommend this series <laughs> yeah i'm sure we'll bring it up like way more <laughs> it's on amazon prime go enjoy it 
You probably already have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen to the choir, but I'm glad we got to talk about it more on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us on this adventure through the past shows of this last six months, I think. Yes. <laughs> and all of the things we're excited about for the fall season. We're excited to hear what you're looking forward to as well. Thanks for listening. If you like, please follow, rate, and review us and share us with your friends. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Thesis on Joan. We love to hear your queer culture backs and ideas for queering the canon. Send us an email at thesisonjoan at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 845-445-9251. Come back for more interviews, fun queer content, recommendations, and discussions on current theater. Until next time, keep it queer. Not that it'd be that hard for y'all to do. <laughs>Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.